I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 16 of the Endless Hustle podcast. Just a little housekeeping here. If you're listening to this and haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button so you can come back week after week for content after content. I am your host, Matt Cohan from Bro Bible, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Arthur Cade. Today's guest is a big one for both me and Arthur. Arthur's a little older than me. No offense, dude. I don't mean to air you out in front of our audience. But Kenny the Jet Smith, you may know him from two NBA championships with the Houston Rockets. You may know him from the face of Inside the NBA, or at least one of the faces. He's now taken his skills in high-profile platform to start the Jet Academy, which is a virtual basketball academy where kids can improve their games with lessons from the likes of Draymond Green, Isaiah Stewart, and Kobe White. This was a big one here, Arthur. Yeah, I mean, he's the epitome, Matt. By the way, thank you for calling me your good friend. I actually thought I was your best friend, but whatever. Um, But I'll take good friend. When it comes to you, I'll take good friend. He is the epitome of what this podcast is all about. Obviously, we have the pleasure of talking to athletes and celebrities and really understanding their transformation and the journeys that they're going on. Kenny, when you look at his career, two-time NBA champion, phenomenal player, slam dunk contest runner-up, and now arguably one of the most iconic sports broadcasters of our generation, right? So... To think about that this guy has not just excelled in one career, but he's had Hall of Fame level performance in two careers. And if you were to go down the street and talk to various generations of fans, they would probably have different feedback on how they know him. He is Mr. Endless Hustle. Yeah, I think it's it's probably, I don't know if it's sad or or ridiculous that Kids probably in the Bronny James era probably don't even couldn't even name what team he played for, don't even know if he won a championship. Just and I think that's a testament to just how good he is as a broadcaster. I mean, he really sounds and looks like he was born to do it. So I think that you know, that's kind of a testament to him and the work he's done, you know, post playing career. This chat, Matt, I mean, it's hard to describe. You and I are basketball fans. So anytime we get to get inside the mind of someone who knows basketball and the sport and the league as well as someone like Kenny Smith does. And the guy's willing to open up and share stories and experiences, things that you and I as fans could never really understand or have lived. It's incredible. And you think about on this podcast and, you know, here I am selling the podcast. People are going to tune in just to hear Kenny Smith, but I do want to sell it a little bit. He talked about stuff like Dean Smith's mentorship as a college coach to the point where I was almost breaking down in tears. He, he talked about what it was like on those Houston teams. I grew up watching those teams and whether or not he thought that during the Jordan break years, they could have even beat the Bulls. He even told us who his favorite rappers, New York rappers are of all time. So to have a guy at the caliber of Kenny Smith giving us this inside look into basketball, I was just geeking out. There were points where I forgot I was an interviewer and a podcast host, and I was just like, man, I feel like I'm having beers with Kenny Smith and getting all the inside stories. Yeah, definitely high expectations for the Jet, and he flew right by them, but we'll let you guys find that out on your own. Without further ado, here is Kenny the Jet Smith. Huge day on the Endless Hustle today as we welcome on two-time NBA champion, North Carolina basketball legend, Emmy award-winning host of Inside the NBA, and the engine behind the new Jet Academy, a series of online basketball camps for children of all ages, the Jet himself, Kenny Smith. Kenny, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem, man. It's our honor here. Can you give us a little uh, details on the Jet Academy? Because from my understanding, it's the uh, first of its kind. Yeah, first of its kind, live streaming, streaming service, uh, instructional. It's a first device where you can work side by side with your favorite players. And it works on any device, 
you know, all you need is Wi-Fi or cell service. You could be in a park, you could be in a gym, you could be in your living room, which some kids are doing. And you can actually just do drills side by side with your favorite players. We've had, you know, our initial run, we had Trey Young, Kimber Walker, Victor Oladipo, Brianna Stewart, Brittany Griner. Now we're coming back. Next run is with Draymond Green, CJ McCollum, Kobe White, Kendrick Dunn, Nasir Little, Cole Anthony. Uh, so we got, a, we got a great group of guys. And what do you do? You just sign in. And, and then for one hour, you just work side by side of drills. You can... Then you can upload your videos, tell us what you think you need to do right, wrong. We answer them in 48 hours while you're doing it, kind of like a, you know, Facebook or Instagram live, kind of like that in the sense that you could um, ask questions as things are going. And so, it's, like I said, it's the first of its kind. Uh, we, I created the streaming service with my son, KJ, who's at the University of North Carolina, and it's $29.99 a month. That's what we're doing now. So less than a dollar a day. You can work out with pros, man, and uh, you know get a, and get some real instruction. And we have a great holiday special where if you sign up, you get a free T-shirt, a Jet Academy basketball, and JBL headphones. So all you have to do is show up, man. It's, a, it's like you have no excuse to get better. Genius. <laughs> you have no Genius. Such a great Christmas gift, too. Yeah, with the pandemic don't slow you down. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be a, a worse player coming out of the pandemic. Kenny, what a different world we live in. Can you imagine if you, as a young stud New York point guard, had these capabilities and could literally, like, hit up Walt Frazier or some of the legends oh. that you grew up watching and literally be like, on Instagram, Walt, how do you do that crossover? I don't know. I, don't, I, I would have been so – I would have told Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would have been looking down at me. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, the one thing that, you know, we didn't have growing up is the, the instant information. You know, it's like it was trial and error. Like for me, it's like, oh, is this really the way I'm supposed to cross over a guy? Or this is really the way I'm supposed to be looking for? And what, you know, when you have like a Draymond Green or CJ McCollum showing you and you can ask questions, what they can tell you is why, when to do it and why to do it. Like, I just kind of did it. You know, it's like, oh, did, does it work? <laughs> like, you know, and I think that's the biggest difference that, you know, I, I felt that was important when we created the platform is it's like, you know, CJ, don't just don't just do the drill. Tell them when you do it and why you do it. What do you look for when you're about to do it? And, you know, you, you, there's some, some great individual trainers that do it, but here's a guy who who's scoring 30 points a night in the, at the highest level telling you how to do it. So for me, I just thought it was, it was just a great platform, a great tool. My son was 12, is doing it uh, and, and excited about it. Yeah, so basically like a master class in basketball and you get some free uh, swag out of it too. So that's that's incredible. Yeah, a little bit different. Uh, Masters, that theirs is, is taped. Ours is, you know, we, we're live and direct. Yeah. You, we do have a tape version where you can go back and watch it. But this is live and direct. These guys, are, you know, which was funny because Kimba was doing it and he was in the bubble. So mm -hmm. I would talk to him about being in the bubble. He was That's when they first got there too and it was like, the food here is terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's like and then all of a sudden the NBA heard all that and they changed all the food. Yeah. But uh, so I think I, I feel a little responsible for the better food in the bubble. <laughs> As because, you of, because of my interview with Kemba Walker telling how he hated the food. Yeah. Kenny, I want to get into your uh, your career here because before you were one of the most respected analysts in the game, you were a hell of a good player. You know, All-American at UNC, setting records in the NBA Finals. You've become obviously one of the great analytical minds in basketball. But do you ever feel like you've become a victim of your own post-basketball success and that your resume as a player isn't the main focus, especially to the younger generation? No, I don't. That doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I've done this longer than I play basketball, you know. Yeah. I've been a, I've been an announcer longer than, than I've been a basketball player. I, you know, I've been an announcer for 20 years. I played basketball 11. So, you know, a different understanding. People, you know, recognize me more from that. There's a generation that understands, you know, what my gift to the game is as, as a, you know, breaking it down than breaking down players. <laughs> like, so I'm not upset at that. I'm just – actually, that's flattering. When people come up, you're the announcer, right? You're the guy yeah. from TNT. No, or, or I get this, you're the guy from NBA 2K. You're the guy, you're the, you're the announcer from the Jet Academy. I'm like, no, I'm actually the Jet. Yeah, you're like, I'm him. Like, <laughs> Don't get it twisted. 
when Kenny was the moment, because you guys have become the gold standard of sports TV at this point, but when was the moment that you kind of looked around on set and knew there was magic, there was something there that this was going to become that gold standard? Well, this was honestly before Charles even got there. When I got there with Ernie, it was just Ernie and myself. And, you know, our producer, we have a good, really great producer. His name is Tim Kiley. I was talking to him about different things. And there were certain things that were going on that television had traditionally had done that I, I didn't understand why they were doing them. And I kept, I kept questioning things. And he was like, you know what? Don't do it that way. I was like, it was one of the things where we were, I was looking, they had a thing in television. When you're talking, when Ernie would ask you a question, they say, okay, now answer to camera three. I, I think you guys know that. Like, you answer the three. And I said, why would I answer the camera three and it's not a human being? I was like, why wouldn't I just look at Ernie or talk to Ernie? And he said, you know what? That makes sense. So I, was, I said, because if I make a joke and I don't know if he's laughing or not, I don't know if it's a really a joke that I should carry on and keep moving on with. Or if I say something informative and he's not like, hmm, that's a good point. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting a human reaction. So I'm just guessing. And he's like, oh, fine. He said, we got six cameras in here, we'll find you. So things like that, I think changes the dynamic of our show where I, you never find, you're never talking to a camera, you're talking to a person. You don't get 30 seconds to talk. Like you, you, get, you get a chance to talk, but if, you don't, if you're not saying it right, someone will cut you off right in the middle of it. The same way a normal conversation goes. You're like, hey, it's raining outside. You look at me like, no, it's not raining in Brooklyn. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it's not raining here. <laughs> like, you're, like, you're not gonna just let me say that yeah, and just keep yeah. going. Like, no, LeBron James is, is the best player in the world. Okay, you could say that, but if you say something else, you can't continue. You know, you just can't continue the conversation. That makes no sense. You mentioned uh, Ernie Johnson, and Ernie is the least high-profile guy on the inside cast, which isn't saying much given who you guys are, but he's earned the reputation as kind of the patriarch of the group. His character is well-documented, you know, he and his wife adopting a son, you know, who was abandoned in a park with muscular dystrophy. Barkley said he's never met a nicer guy, and it's been an honor working with him. What can you say about Ernie that the general public may not know? Well, you know, I'm glad. I'm, I, just, I would say that, you know, Charles never met a nicer guy. He's not in a good – Charles doesn't hang with a lot of, like, nice people. So that's, <laughs> that's not a good <laughs> – it's not a compliment. Like, his group is – no, I'm just <laughs> But uh, I think Ernie, you know, he, he's a great listener. His job is to actually talk, but he's a great listener. And he, he understands what's going on, you know, around. And I think that he, that's full fold for him as a person as well. He's just a great listener. He, you know, you could talk to him about different subjects, different things, personal items. Our staff talk to him, you know, about life and things of that nature and like, oh, you know, oh, debts of gratitude towards him. For a guy who's supposed to, who gets paid to talk, his best attribute, he's just a great listener. There was a great moment you'd mentioned, Chuck. I'm originally from Philadelphia People don't realize how beloved Charles Barkley is in Philadelphia. It's him and Iverson and Brian Dawkins at the top of that mountain, pretty much. And maybe Mike Schmidt. There was a great story that came out where Chuck had befriended a man. And when the man had passed away, the daughter wrote this whole op-ed about how Chuck had befriended her father. And it went viral. And it really gave you an inside look into Chuck's character and how great a dude he is. Offset, what can you tell us kind of about Chuck that people wouldn't know where you just want to hug him if you see him. Charles is, is very benevolent. Uh, I, I would say that. He, he is a walking contradiction in terms of being like this tough guy and all of that, but he's very benevolent person. We understand, like, like sometimes on television, he'll say things, and you go, well, last week he just said something different. You know, he is a walking contradiction. However, in terms of his benevolency, I think that, he has a string that pulls the people to his heart that he thinks he could help everyone. And his help is different from everyone else's too. Cause a lot of times, you know, you see someone on the street and you say, Hey, can, you know, Hey, Hey brother, can you spare a dime kind of thing? You know, he's the guy who's going to take the guy to and, and buy him a house. You're like, wait, wait, you bought the guy a house. Like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I bought him a house. But in the same token, I'm like, but did you get him furniture? And he's like, 
No, well, he could work and get his own first seat. I was like, so it's like a walking contradiction with that sometimes, <laughs> you know. But I, I, he's so benevolent, man. Like he just like to the extreme. He's and there he is. He's an extremist. He, he's really to the extreme with his benevolency. Uh, you know, the, the black colleges, you know, HBCUs. He's donated like a million dollars to like five or six of them. Just sitting in the green room talking, like it, we. It was just a casual conversation. And someone said something and he was like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna give that like back HBCUs a million dollars. Two weeks later, I'm reading the paper, hey, you can give it. But it was such a casual conversation. You don't think that it's going to happen sometime. And uh, that's what I would say the most interesting. And he's OTV. Oh, wow. You know, this is before COVID. He was carrying Kleenex, and, I mean, Clorox wipes in his bag. This is way before Clorox. This is three years. He wipes everything down. You know, everything is meticulously put. His his closet looks like a department store at, you know, the best men's store in the world. Every shirt is color-coded. It's neat. It's perfectly in place. He knows exactly where everything is. The most annoying quality that he has. He's, he's if, you know, for those old school people, he's Felix Unger and I'm Oscar Madison. So it's very, it's not a fun thing to be around him. <laughs> when you and Ernie are sitting in the middle there and watching him and Shaq go at it on set, do you ever think that it could come to blows? Do you ever think like, man, these two might jump the table and just start pounding each other? Shaq can jump the table. Charles have to run around it. But yes. And, 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 there, and we are the three brothers that will fight. And then the mom has to bring him back to the table or the dad and be like, listen, guys, you know, hey, you can't do that. You're brothers, and then everyone hugs it out, and then they, we, and then they go. We play baseball, but we can only do it to each other. Meaning, if you guys came in and said something crazy about any of us, we're all gonna attack you. It's like no, we're like we're no. He he might be a butthole, but he's our butthole, and like no one else can say it. No one can talk smack about Charles or Shaq, but me. No one can talk smack about me and Chuck. But Shaq, like, we don't allow anyone else to do that, which is funny because people see us on the show and they join in to what they think. We're like, no, you don't know us like that. You can't do that. Yeah. Can't say that about him. Yeah. <laughs> it, he's, he's our brother. He's not yours. <laughs> we had uh, Richard Jefferson on the pod, and he told us that when Gilbert Arenas joined the jump, he had to sit with producers for 10 minutes before they went live. So for a list of words that he couldn't say on air he ended up calling rj a douchebag on on air anyway but when kg joins inside the nba i know he has a cuss button but are producers sweating bullets when they see him coming or in are there any like kg stories you can share with us he's my all-time favorite player so i have like a personal yeah, yeah well you know when, when kg was there you know i created the cuss button yeah because i was like yo I, I literally said it on the air i was like you know, we're going to, KG, we're going to need a cuss button for you. And then the next week they brought the cuss button out. I was like, as soon as you could just, so you could just press it when you're ready to just go into it. I think KG's passion, man, that, you know, I loved when he worked with us because the stories that he would give in the green room and the, the intensity of it was like, all I needed was a popcorn. And I'm like, oh man, this, this dude say it, man. It was just, he's so passionate about everything. I wish, and I used to tell him, I'm like, and, and I think, and, and I'm going to be honest, I thought we did him a disservice in the fact when he was working with us because we gave him a show. We should have made him part of a show. And then he would have, could have, could have had his own show. Because he tells such great stories, I think they said, oh, he could have his own show. But he didn't have, he didn't have television instincts yet. Yeah. He had instincts of telling great stories. So, and I always said that. I'm like, no, just make him part of our show a segment first. Like, make him a segment, the KG segment, blah, 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 blah. And I always used to say that and because his stories were just so great. And he, he's kind of like um, on the Chappelle show, what was it, when uh, Charlie Murphy. He, he had, yeah, Charlie Murphy had all these, these, all these stories about, you know, hanging with his cousin or his brother, Eddie Murphy. And he was hanging with Prince and he was hanging with, you know, with uh, all of the heavyweights of, the, you know, Rick James and all of that. That's what KG was like, but Charlie Murphy couldn't carry a show, but he would give you like, he's like, those are the most memorable moments of some shows that of, of the Chappelle show. So that's how I thought KG could have been for us. 
Kenny, what's in the water in New York that produces some of the best and toughest point guards of all time? I don't know if it's still there, but it, you know, I think overall the appreciation, because now the game has changed. The appreciation of running a team, getting in others involved, and being an individual are no longer point guard qualities in the NBA. You don't have to have that. You have to have that in New York City in general. I think that instinct of not being a, not controlling a game and not having the ability to score all the time. That's what made a New York point guard great. I think a lot of coaches today, because of, you know, especially, I think Steph Curry probably was the leading in this and Steve Nash, right after Nash, it was, you know, it, it, the scoring point guard. When I played in New York City, I could get 10 oohs and ahs without scoring a basket. Like the whole park would be going in a frenzy and I hadn't even scored yet. Just making nice passes, getting the right play, going between my legs, making it, you know, that's not appreciated now, like running a team. Okay? They want you to score. They want you to shoot threes. And then LeBron James also changed that. Now your, your, your power forward can handle the basketball, make decisions from the, from the perimeter. So they think everyone can do that. Not realizing Steph Curry and LeBron James are generational players. There's only two of them. More, more, more guys are like Rondo who want to be Steph Curry. More guys are like power back to your basket players that want to be uh, LeBron. And so it's just not appreciated as much as for me, but that, I think that's the reason why New York point guards have always been that. LeBron just won his fourth title, three different franchises, four finals MVPs. You've been, I guess, critical of LeBron in the past when comparing him to the all-time greats. You had some time well, to think this. I don't this. know critical. No, not critical, just in comparison. You said top 10, I believe, right? I mean, he's the best player of this generation, without question. Not close. Yeah, but you, you pinned know, him, I believe Durant, it was seven. Well, if Kevin Durant didn't get hurt, it would have been closer. He was making his way. And, you know, we'll see when he comes back and how healthy he is. I just respect what the other guys have done in, the same, in a different era. You know, six championships with Michael Jordan, you know, five, you know, MVPs, you know, you talk about magic, multiple, you know, five, in, you know, finals appearances, winning championships, five MVPs, three multiple. Like, I respect that. I understand what that is. I understand how that would translate in this era. Like, I understand how that I would do that. So, for me, being in the top 10 of all time is not a disrespect. Did he move up this year? Yeah, I would say he moved up. But at the time I said it, it was the beginning of the thing. But is he still in my top three, four guys? No, I'm sorry. He's not there yet. I, I, I take 13 championships in Bill Russell over that right now. I, I just take it over it. You know, I take Michael, you know. And, you know, I, I think where he passed to me is like where he was to me was Larry Bird, LeBron James, Michael, I mean, Magic. Like that's where he was to me at the beginning of the season. He didn't surpass that at the beginning of the season for me. He just didn't. Kenny, you played with one of the greatest players of all time in Hakeem Olajuwon. And when you look at today, we see the Luka Doncic and the international phenomenon of players coming in from everywhere. Back then, it was Hakeem and just a handful of guys. Did Hakeem have an understanding back then of because of his high profile success that he would inspire kids in Africa in remote parts of the world and make them want to be basketball players did he know what was happening no I don't think he I don't think he thought it was happening because of him also you're talking about when Charles says the most nicest man he has Kakeem Olajuwon is the most honorable man I ever met I don't think that he knew it was him he just saw it happening and he was like oh he's from Kenny he's from Nigeria as well and he's from this part he's from Algeria he's from you know, Sudan, he's, but he never took credit for it. He probably just, that's just a demeanor, but he knew it was happening, but I don't think he understood it was him. <laughs> like, like everyone coming in, well, my favorite player, Akeem, my favorite player, Akeem, a favorite player. Akeem. I don't think he got it like that. It was him that was making it happen in that moment. Maybe now as he reflects, he probably understands, but while we were playing, he never, never would be like, it would never would say not. Nah, I used to say, man, that point guard comes from New York because of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was cocky. So, you know, what I mean? like he plays, he's trying to play like me, you know, but 
he never would say anything like that. No, not at all. What was the mindset of those teams? I grew up during the er- that era seeing the Bulls. The, the 80s Lakers are my all-time favorite. I had Showtime posters everywhere. But those two championship runs you guys experienced, especially the whole never-give-up attitude, when you're part of that culture, what's it like as a player experiencing that firsthand? It's a way of life, you know? It's kind of It's not a moment. It's like a way of life that the group of guys that were put together had already lived. You know, Mario Ellie playing overseas, going to American International University. Like, that's, that's a never give up attitude. You know, Chucky Brown, who was who at one time had played on the most NBA teams in the history of, of basketball. You know, myself being first team All-American in, in, um, in, in high school, but my junior year never had, didn't have one scholarship offer. You know, Akeem. You know, comes to this country. He, he redshirted his fresh his first year at University of Houston. So it goes down the line. It was a way of life for us. And then all of a sudden, you look around and you're like, "Man, this guy thinks like me. Like he don't give up. He like he's not a lamb. He's a lion. He's a tiger. Like he's not gonna give up." And and you do. And then collectively, I don't know if they knew that whoever the general manager who put us together, or it just happened. And, and you look around, you have like-minded individuals that being down 3-1 was comfortable. Like, I feel, this is, I feel better here. Like, down 3-1 in the series, I feel good. Like, down 2-1, I'm all right here. This is where I, I'm used to being a little bit. And then I know how to come out of that and rise out of that. So for me, it was just like-minded individuals that had already been living that lifestyle. Does the part of you wish that you were able to hand, hand Michael his only finals loss? I mean, you guys beat that dominant Orlando team. I think you swept them. But I know you said that you would have beaten Michael Jordan's Bulls had they advanced past it. But uh, what's your kind of mindset on that? No, I, I, I don't think I – you know what? Thinking – then I would have. Back then I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to have played them and, and be the team that beat them. But now being a fan of Michael Jordan – and being an announcer, I wouldn't want that tarnish on his record. I love the fact that he goes, been in the final six times, he never lost. You know, like, I, I like that mystique about him because I want people to really know how great he was. So I wouldn't want him to be like, oh, he was six and two in the finals. Like, because I do think we would have got him. <laughs> I think we would have got him. So, uh, you know, I've seen him be the best player in the world and not be on the best team before. So... I thought I didn't think his team was were the best if he would have stayed those two years. There was no Horace Grant and there was no Dennis Rodman in those two years. The, Dennis was in San Antonio, Horace was in Orlando. And I think that's really the reason why they lost to Orlando the first time. He didn't get a chance to play us when he was wearing number 45. It's because they were too small. And then, you know, then the next year they go out, you know, he, they go get Dennis Rodman and then they, then it, then it's back to, you know, back to business. But, no, I, I'm, I'm glad we didn't beat him. I'm, I'm actually glad. I want him to keep the cape on. I want him to be Superman. I want him to people to understand how great he really was that in this era, you know, he still would have been the greatest player ever. He would have averaged 50 points a game and he would have won every championship that you could imagine in this era. How selfless of you. <laughs> Kenny, we had, we had Jay Williams on the pod and I asked him to, by position, give us his all-time Duke team. So having you on the pod, I'm going to ask you by position, all-time Tar Heel team, by position. Okay, wait, before I say, who was, the, who was the best point guard at Duke for, for Jay? Who did he, you remember? So he, we, him and I battled on this. He said Kyrie. I said Bobby Hurley. The best point guard. Well, if you're talking about playing at Duke or you're talking about – All-time Duke player. team, I asked him. So by well, position, all-time Duke. All-time Duke. Bob, so Kyrie's not the best point guard. He's not. If well, just he, dis- he had a disclaimer. He goes, even though I know he played only 10 games by talent and had he had a full year, full career, he, he's the best. Well, I, mean, I argue we that. Can't, that's what I'm saying. He's not. I, and I, 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 that school in Durham, the best point guard, honestly, there was Johnny Dawkins. Johnny Dawkins was I thought a that player. too. I thought about better that one. Than too. Bobby Hurley to me. Even, even when Bobby Hurley was doing his thing and going to Final Fours. I thought Christian Leighton at Grand Hill and those guys had just as much to do with it or more. 
where if Johnny Dawkins had those guys, Johnny Dawkins would have been playing in the Final Fours too. So I, I, I'm going Johnny Dawkins is the best point guard I do. Uh, but North Carolina, Phil Ford, point guard, best point guard to ever touch, touch the basketball at North Carolina. Michael Jordan, best two guard. Uh, Walter Davis is the best small forward that's ever touched it. Uh, Sam Perkins would be the best center. I would either go Mitch Cup, uh, Rashi Wallace, or Mitch Kupchak at four. No and worthy. No worthy. Yeah, James Worthy's the best power forward. You're right. James Jefferson's the best power forward at, at at North Carolina, and then Sam Perkins is the best five. Matt, I think I just earned a job on Inside the NBA. Yeah. I just uh, I just gave Kenny the UNC lesson. You, you know what? The, the list is so long. I almost forgot about James. That's, <laughs> like our list is so long. Because there's still no Vince Carter on there, no Antoine Jameson, no Brad Darty, who's the number one pick in the draft. Like, but in terms of careers at North Carolina, it would be Sam, which all three of them played together, which is even crazy. Michael and James, they played together at one time. And Phil Ford, without, without question, is maybe the best basketball player that the ACC had ever seen. What was the Dean Smith experience like? I always think to myself, if I'd grown up in that era and gotten a chance to be recruited by Coach K, Dean, you had Lute Olson in Arizona, I mean, these great coaches. When he walks in, what's that pitch look like that makes you say, I want to play for Coach Smith? It was an out-of-body experience playing for him. It was like playing for Gandhi. It wasn't playing for a basketball coach. It was a life lesson every day. It was a cerebral thought process. It was not about basketball. Basketball is, a, when I think of Coach Smith and the 10 things that I think about, two of them are basketball, two of them. Like they're basketball related, but it's not like a game and he goes, oh, and he comes up and draws this magnificent play. Like it's all about life lessons that he used to say that related to the sport or just related to life. And like those stick out way more. I talked to him more after I stopped playing than I did when I was even playing there. Like, I just call him, like, coach, you know, this is going on in my life. What do you think? Blah, 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 blah. It was like, it was talking to Gandhi. It really was. It was like talking to Gandhi, you know. He's the first coach to to bring in, you know, he, he brought in uh, Charlie Scott, first African-American player at North Carolina. He could have he sold me on recruitment by just saying that. He's like, I'm the guy who brought, I'm the first guy to bring in an African-American player. No, he never mentioned it. <laughs> like never, like at all in my whole, his whole life. He's never said to me that. He never said, that. I had to read that when I got there. When I got there, I was like, really? It's like, he did that? I was like, I didn't, I didn't even know. Like, that's the type of person he was. You know, in terms of social and social justice, he was way ahead of his time. He actually apologized. This is, this is tw 10 years. 20, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, rather, he apologized for not hiring, not built for it, not getting the job. Called every, I thought he just called me at first. He called every, almost every African-American player and said, you, you, have, you have done too much for the university for us not to have an African-American coach when I leave. I'm sorry. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, who does that? Like, he's just social justice way ahead. Basketball, way ahead. Life, way ahead. Just Unbelievable experience, man. You would loved it. We had things where we have an emphasis of the day at North Carolina. So you have defensive emphasis, you know, don't let your guy go baseline. Offensive input, hit the open man. Thought of the day. Uh, never walk in, never judge a man unless you walked in his moccasins for at least two moves. Like, I still remember that. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Those would be like different thoughts. So he'd have different thoughts from like Gandhi or from anyone else or from Mother Teresa or just <clears throat> random thoughts that he read somewhere and we'd have to remember him. And if you didn't remember the thoughts of the day or the emphasis of the day, you had to run. The whole, the whole team had to run. So everyone always remembered them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, know, you know, always remembered what they were, you know? So different, man. That different touches man. my heart, man. That's awesome. Leangelo Ball just signed with the Pistons here, making LeVar Ball's sperm three for three in the NBA. But we yeah, had him no on the podcast. No credit to his wife at all. Just, huh? now, just letting you know. You, Matt. 
So that's why it's almost it's actually worse because his it's not anything to no. do with the mom and her and her eggs. It was all about his. No, mom. Kenny, <laughs> you haven't listened to our podcast with because I literally was was pumping up Tina the entire podcast. All right, so say no more. Say, go and listen say, to it. Just here. knowing, let let me give you a, a tidbit. You know, I don't know them personally, but I know of them and I've seen them because I live in Los Angeles. And my son is uh, KJ, who's in this in, in University of North Carolina, is the same age as most of those guys, and he's a senior now. And we used to play AAU against the teams, and 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 we used to you know and and his in my high school, his high school, uh, modern day would play against Chino Hills in the playoffs. Modern day was a much better team at the time, and so they would you know always win. So I seen him, and Levar was not this Levar at all. And the mom got all the credit when they were younger, like how she takes care. Like when they were like in eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, everyone used to like that talk to me would be like, yeah, and the mom, Tina, she's like got this. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like 11th grade, it became about LeVar. And I was like, man, what happened to the mom? And I forgot her name at the time. And I was like, what happened to the mom? Because everybody used to tell me how great a mom she was to these three kids who were playing basketball. And then about 11th grade, it just became about how LeVar did it. You know, and so shout out to Tina then. LeVar gave the <laughs> stiff arm to her. Yeah, we asked her what the we asked him what the most romantic thing he's ever done for her is, and he said, I gave her these kids. Oh and my so. god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty true to form there. I, I was basically asking you your view on LeVar and what do you think the ceiling is for uh the three boys, especially Mello and uh Leangelo? I think all of them have you know high ceilings, even Leangelo, you know. Leandro's more of a traditional kind of player. Not when I say traditional, <clears throat> he doesn't have the explosion, the, the that you know, or the size that dominates the position, so to speak. Like he's not a six-eight point guard. You know what I mean? Six-seven point guard. So he's not a you know a six-eleven shooting guard like Kevin Durant. You know, so he doesn't have that phenomenal physical type. You know, the other two. You know they possess. They have they have size, but for the position, they don't have the great athleticism all the time. But you know they're good athletes. But the, they have the size that kind of could dominate the position if they ever became great at it. And being great is is a um, it's not a skill set. It's a mindset. So I, you know they just have to you know figure out what the mindset is to be a great player in the in the NBA. They have the skill. I've watched them mature from eighth grade, watching them play to now. Uh, you know, from afar, and um, they have this. They have they have the skill set. Do they have the mindset to be great? Is 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 going to be the question? You know, I think they all mellow. Right now, probably has the biggest ceiling, just because he shoots the ball better. The Alonzo, you know, he shoots the ball better, even though he doesn't. He's not a great shooter, but he does shoot the ball better. You can't just leave him and go double team. I don't believe even at this stage in his career. Kenny, the thing that people will never realize is, especially the younger generation, you could jump out of the fucking building. I mean, you were an absolute <laughs> leaper. And you're about 6'3", I'm 6'2", although I cannot jump out of the building. We had Baron Davis on, who was another dude who dunked on so many players throughout his career. What's it like as a little guy when you actually dunk on someone, especially a big guy, What's that feeling like when you get to experience that? Yeah, I think it, when you experience that, it's like I, I never looked at myself as little though. I always just it's like I looked at guys who couldn't who can jump and guys who couldn't. It wasn't like he's small. He is like, well, when I get up there, who's going to be there with me? So some guys are six eight, but they're not going to be up there with you. So then they're little to me. You know what I mean? So I never thought of them as little or big. I thought of who's who could jump and who couldn't. I could jump over a building when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, you know, dunk contest. But when I learned about 19, 18, that I could open the door and walk through the building, that's when I became a better player. Like, you know, I, you don't have to jump over the building. You can, oh, the door's open. <laughs> like, just open the door and walk through. <laughs> like, so that's where a lot of great athletes lose it or don't get it until too late. Um, and then they don't make the NBA or they get to the NBA and don't have great careers because it takes some time to realize that. I, I learned a little early and that helped my career become a better player. Six foot three, 170 pounds is a million of us. 
but to be college player of the year, be six pick in the draft, like, you know, that's, you got to know how to walk through the building. But jumping over guys and dunking on them, you know, like I said, it's, it's fun because you walk into a practice and you walk even on a bus and you look at guys as little. That's that. And they say, what's the alpha? That's what that brings. It's like, like you're a big man. You don't like, you don't, you're not in fear of their size. You're like, he's a little guy. He's little. He's, he's little. Yeah, he's not big. Like, cause I come to the lane. I'm not thinking about him. Like I'm in there. I'm not, he's not his thought. My thought process is not about this guy blocking my shot ever, like ever. <laughs> so, so when I watch games today, that's when I watch even today I watch and I go, you, you compare errors. I'm like, well, this is the only error where, how do I put it? This might be a, this might be a quotable. Here it is. I'm not, no, I almost went there. Like this is going to be Let's one of those. LeBron, this might be LeBron. LeBron is not in the top 10 moment. This is one of those. I can feel it coming. Like, guys in my era would be not scared of anyone in this era. Because there's no shot blocker. Like, there's no one who you would be nervous going through the lane. So, and they're playing small ball. The difference is, as a small guy, I had to stay on the perimeter. Who am I scared of today? Like, who? AD? No. No. But the thing about this, AD, JaVale McGee, and Dwight Howard, probably three best. They were on the same team this year. They are three best shot blockers in basketball. And I, and I, the two of them I'm not really that scared of if I was playing at, at 21, you know, at this stage in their career. I wouldn't be as scared of Dwight for sure. AD I would have to look at. And JaVale I think I could fool every now and then. I'd be able to fool him. So, but no one else. And you're telling me you, it's hard to play in this era? No, it's, it's easy to score. It's hard to play in this era, but it's easy to score. Easy there's a, to score. There's a video out there that's like three minutes long of Michael Jordan driving in throughout the 80s and 90s and absolutely getting annihilated. I mean, annihilated by the likes of Bill Lane Beer, those, you know, Knicks in San... In, that in well, I'm not even talking I'm not even talking of physicality. I'm talking about my shot gets released and they block it. Tucker from the Rockets is going to block my shot. He's playing the five. When I come in, he's playing the four. When I come in there, he's going to block my shot. All I have to do is dance around and get to the lane, and I'm going to score. The hardest part is winning still. It's still hard to win in this league. It's still hard to compete, but it's not hard to score. Scoring is easy. Like, it's the easiest thing to do in the NBA right now is to be able to score. There are guys who would not be able to average double figures that average double figures in this league now that couldn't average double figures because you, it's easy to score. When the younger players see would see that what you just said, you're going to get so much hate, but I 100% agree with you. Does it bother you that the younger players kind of think you have like old head syndrome when you say no, this no, no. type of stuff? I didn't say it was hard to win. I didn't say it was hard to compete. I said it's easy to score. There's a difference. I averaged 18 points my best year, I think, 18. I had one year 17, one year 18, whatever. 17 I would average like 24. I had 23 in this era, 23 points. Like, I'm not a 23-point scorer in my era. There's no question. They, like, they would expect me to get 23 points in this era. And I'm like, yeah, I can do it because there's no shot blocker. So I don't have to stay on the perimeter to get most of my shots. I can get into the lane and lay Tucker. I can get it. Who else? Let's go. Who? Who is Who is it? Who is the Miami? Who is playing center? Bam out of body. Myers is a Leonard. Great player, but he's not a shot blocker. He yeah. can handle the ball. He can facilitate. He's a point center. Our version of what Rodney McRae was, a guy who could handle the ball. Robert Reed, those guys, they handle the ball at six eight. They play multiple positions. That's Bam. He's a great player. He's not a shot blocker. I'm not scared of him going in the lane. Like, like he's not gonna block. He's not gonna block my dunk nine out of ten times. He got a great block, I think, and they're showing it like it was one of the greatest blocks in history. I'm like, that was every night in our league. Like somebody's choking your dunk. Like that was every night. Like, it's not the greatest blocks, shot block in the history of basketball. Bam's a great player, but no, that wasn't that. In August, you you famously walked off the set of Inside the NBA, obviously to show solidarity with the players' boycott following the shooting of 
Jacob Blake. Bill Russell praised you for it, as did many others. But uh, Chuck criticized you for going rogue and not informing them of your plans. How do you view Barkley's criticism? And would you have done anything differently if he were to turn back the clock? No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. I wouldn't do anything different because it was nothing I really thought about doing. It wasn't like a plan, like I'm going to go do this. And and anytime there's social injustice, I don't think that is it. Isn't your job to be disruptive? Like, yeah. it's not to plan it out. It's to be disruptive. And so, no, I wouldn't do anything different. I wouldn't inform Chuck. You know, say hey, this is what I'm going to do. Pull him to. You know, I did wait afterwards though. Say hey, yo, you know. I just did that in the spur of the moment. It felt something I felt from my heart to do. Uh, so I did wait and tell all of them that. So I did. I could have just left the show and not did that, but I did do that. But um, I, you know, I heard Chuck. I Chuck's a contradiction, so I don't. I don't. I don't pay any. Right? That's my brother. He could. You know, he could say anything. You know, for me, you know, it's it's important for us, especially as black men, not to be divisible. So I, you know, I don't. I don't. I didn't take anything to it. You know, that's that's what they talk about. So as to non-African American men. That's what they talk about when, oh, they're trying to divide us. Da -da -da -da, people will go, well, that's, and then you fall into it. And you go, yeah, Chuck shouldn't have said that about me. Now, that's not black excellence. So when you hear that term black excellence, it's like, no, you're going to sometimes not only look past, but you're going to educate your, your brother at the same time instead of letting him know that, no, nah, what you said, bro, was out of order. Like, no, no. Nah, I get it. He, he wanted to know. Maybe he wanted to know because he wanted to walk off. I hope that's why he wanted to know because he wanted to walk off with me. You know, no, I'm not. It's not my job to talk Chuck every move I make. <laughs> I got to do that. I, I'm not. I didn't tell him I was doing this interview with you either. So, you know what I mean? So, like, like oh, Kenny should have told me before he made that comment with Bro Bob. No, no, that's not my job. Bro. Like, no, nah, that's not. We don't. We, we close, but we ain't that close. <laughs> Here is the million dollar question. I've got to ask you, since you're a New York legend, about two other New York legends, better rapper out of these three, Nas, Biggie, or Jay-Z? Mm. Yeah, you argue about that all the time. But my favorite rapper is Biggie. He's my favorite. If I want to listen to music, I'm going to go to Pandora and go to Biggie. I'm going to go to Spotify, whatever it is, and I'm going to go to Biggie. He's my favorite. If you take his lyrics and you put them on any beat today, it still kind of would have the same feel, you know? If you change his lyrics and say, I'm going to put him on that Drake beat, I'm going to put him on that, you know, future beat or that 2 chains beat, it's going to have the same feel uh, today to the young kids and to older kids and whoever. So Biggie's my favorite. So I always, I always go Biggie and Nas are my two favorite. However, Jay is the best. Because if this is true, then he's the best. Because they say he never writes down his lyrics like Biggie did. Doesn't he? Doesn't. So if he is coming up with that in a inside of a, a booth with nothing written down, the entendres and the metaphors, and not writing it down, this guy can speak in rhyme the way we talk naturally. Then, so the way we don't think about our next word, he can think about his next word without with rhyming with the same unadulterated thought process that to me, he's the greatest of all time. To have those entendres together and it's not written down, he's the, he's the greatest. All right, Kenny Smith, legend. Thank you so much for joining. Where, where can uh, our listeners find the Jet Academy? Is there a website they go to sign up? Oh, that was it, thejetacademy.com. Just go to thejetacademy.com. Sign up to work side by side with your favorite players, Draymond Green, CJ McCollum, Kendrick Nunn are coming up, along with uh, Kobe White and Cole Anthony, Precious Achua. We got the rookies coming in. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Quickly coming in, Isaiah Stewart. So, so we have a lot of like eight, eight, nine guys. You just work side by side, the Jet Academy, get you a free headphone, free basketball, free t shirt, Jet Academy, and put it under the Christmas tree for your kids and get them better. No brainer. Thank you, Jay. I mean, this was awesome. Thank you so much. That was Thanks a fantastic, a lot, fantastic It's chat, easy man. to score in this era. These guys can't guard me. Oh, my me. God. It's already blowing up on Twitter. Hey, LeBron would have so much trouble guarding me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, thanks so much, man. Total thanks, free. Kenny. Thanks.
All right, folks, that was Kenny the Jet Smith. I cannot wait with the NBA season coming back to see him and Chuck and Shaq and Ernie back on my television. I love those guys. I got to tell you, Matt, just him talking about Chuck was fucking hilarious. I mean, you really hear him, and he called their relationship brothers and Shaq brothers, and you hear the way they talk about each other and how much they mean to each other. And as a middle-aged man and grown man myself, I have those types of friendships. So to see someone like Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley and Shaq, they're just like me. And I, I love that. That just, I thought it was such a heartwarming look into what I'm watching on TV, why there's so much chemistry. It all makes sense because off screen, there's so much chemistry. And I thought the Dean Smith stuff, I, I still can't get over hearing how a college kid, how a, a grown man who really has nothing in common with him can mean so much to that kid and prepare him so wholly for life. I thought that was just fascinating stuff. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this chat with Kenny Smith. I know we, we really enjoyed having it. Yeah, like what you said, Arthur, it's like the most relatable thing he said was, you know, how he rips on his friends because they're his friends. I mean, me, if you look at the text thread between me and my closest friends, it, you would think that we were enemies. This has been brought up many times before, but the second uh, someone from the outside says anything bad about us, we're there to jump the gun on them. So... So I think anyone with a really tight, close-knit friendship could really resonate with that. Yeah, it's funny. As you were talking about your friendships, Matt, you being a Boston guy, I literally envisioned you as Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting and that scene where Robin Williams is describing his friendships and he's like, you know, Charlie would, would, would take a bat to the knees for him. I feel like that's, that's you and your friends in Boston, man. You're, 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 yeah. uh, you're, you're Will Hunting in my mind now. Yeah, I'd lay down in traffic for my boys down here. That's what it is. All right, Matt. I'm super excited about next Tuesday's episode. We have, I, I think we can call them one of the most controversial draft stories in modern sports You can history. say it, Arthur. You can say it. Just because you talk to him, it's draft bust. You can say draft. He knows uh, it. All right. So, guys, who we're talking about is Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf's our next episode. I love the guy so much and had so much respect for him after the the 30 plus minutes we spent with him that I don't even want to use draft bus, but you're right. He totally understands his place in history. He, he embraces it. And the coolest thing, Matt, he wants to use it for good. Yeah. I mean, he is just enlightened. I mean, it's, it's plain and simple and just hearing him and what he's in the hell he's been through and just his perspective. Now it's like, it wasn't even a sports interview. It was just a life interview about failure and bouncing back. And uh, I just have so much more respect for him, even though he is a draft bust. Although by the way, there was some fantastic sports stuff. So I think you guys are going to really be happy with the conversation we had with Ryan, he really opened up. It was it was awesome. I can't wait to share this. I mean, that's it for us, Matt. That's it for us. And before we sign off here, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Endless Double Underscore Hustle and on Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. You can keep up with me personally at Mr. Cohan on Twitter, K-E-O-H-A-N, and the same for Instagram. And on Twitter, I am at Arthur Cade. And on Instagram, at It's Me Arthur Cade. Guys, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate us, give us only five stars because we deserve it. Thank you for listening as always, and uh, stay tuned next Tuesday, Ryan Leaf. Take care, guys. Peace.